Hi, this is Tina Hay, author of Napkin Finance, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Rangel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Rangel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Tina Hay. Tina is the founder and CEO of Napkin Finance, a visual guide to money found in booksellers as well as on the web. A strong believer in financial literacy, Tina created the platform for users of all ages to learn finance in a simple and engaging way. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Napkin Finance, Build Your Wealth in 30 Seconds or Less, from HarperCollins. Napkin Finance reaches over 80 million people in the U.S. and abroad by working with banks and financial institutions, including J.P. Morgan, Chase, UBS, and U.S. Bank, among others. As a social venture with a focus on financial empowerment, the company also provides content to nonprofits, schools, universities, and has worked with the White House and Michelle Obama's Better Make Room initiative, as well as the U.S. Olympic Committee. Before Napkin Finance, Tina was the founder and CEO of Platinum Test Group, co-founder and president of CityTripping.com, and the editor of City Tripping Los Angeles. She earned her undergrad degree from UCLA and an MBA from Harvard's B-School. Tina is here to help us understand her journey and book, Napkin Finance. Welcome, Tina. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the show. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? That would be my dad. He has always been an inspiration to me, both personally and professionally, in the way that he's kind of managed his career and has been entrepreneurial, but also very fair and ethical and just a good human being overall. And he's been really inspiring and has always inspired me in the way that I run my business and also live my life. Can you think of an example when you were little or even in school growing up when you made a decision that affected maybe where you went to school or what job you took and you could trace that back to an example of your dad or some adage or wisdom that he shared with you? Yeah, you know, I come from generally a very entrepreneurial kind of community and family. And so I think most of the decisions I've made have stemmed from that viewpoint and that kind of perspective that, you know, you can make your own opportunities, you can create your own ventures or businesses and, you know, create things yourself without having to, you know, do it for someone else. I think the really important thing I learned though was that you know, there are no shortcuts, you really need to work hard. And I think even now today, when I see, we work with a lot of younger people, we work with, you know, we work with a number of creatives, but also financial professionals. And the one thing that I've noticed that's really consistent is how there is a very big difference between the people who really work hard and are proud of their work and put the time and energy into it versus the people who expect you know, to move up quickly and don't really take the time and effort to to deserve that kind of career advancement. And so I think learning about hard work and learning to look for opportunities in places you may not expect were two important things that I learned growing up. Do you remember the first time you sort of looked back and realized, wow, I got there because of hard work? Yeah. I mean, I think about it all the time. I worked hard ever since I was, you know, in high school, I, I started working. 
I started businesses when I was very young. And of course, many of them didn't work out. Some you would laugh at to this day if you heard what the idea was. For instance. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a great example. I was, you know, a long time ago, one of the first businesses I started was I patented a way, and this is before like everything became digital, but a way that you can staple and bind a paper at the same time. So you could actually use it within a copy machine or manually, but it was a new way of binding papers together. And this is because I worked in film and we would have all these scripts and there was a very manual process of putting them together. I mean, it's incredible the number of hours that people would spend putting these, binding these scripts together. This is totally irrelevant today because I think everything is read digitally. But so it was a new way of stapling and binding at the same time through a copy machine. So it really kind of like made it much easier to kind of have this bound copy of a script instead of having a staple, but in a way that would actually like really beautifully present it. So there you go. It's, it's totally irrelevant today. At the time was really interesting. I had a patent that was, you know, that, that we put together for it. We had restarted production or manufacturing in China. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Like it went pretty far. It was a great learning experience and I was young. And so it was a lot of fun to kind of even just learn about the different ways they or things you need to think about to start a business. It's amazing that you put this together and what it really illustrates is everyone listening who's started a business or created a product can relate to the pain you were feeling by having to go through all this additional labor and effort for something that could be automated. And you saw that and you ran with it. So you, you, know, you just not only identified, but you won a lot of respect in the eyes of people who said, you know what, I, I get that. I totally understand what you went through and how that product or company came about born of that difficulty you were encountering. Right, right, exactly. I think, and again, you know, I, the one thing I will say is, you know, it's great to look for opportunities, but I feel like every idea has been taken and it's a lot of it is execution and persistence and timing, you know? So ideas and persistence are great, but more than that, it's like, it's really, you know, makes a difference how much you commit yourself to it, to finding a solution, but also finding a unique way of approaching it. So true. So true. Tina, take us back to the moment when Napkin Finance was born. Was it a conversation with a friend, a doodle that you saw in a book that you had created or someone else created or a reaction to a news story? What was the genesis? Yeah. So, you know, it was definitely accidental. The inspiration was my own experiences and challenges learning about money and finance. Um, I was in business school at Harvard and came from a liberal arts background. I'd come in from working in film and in the startup world. And so for me, I've always been a visual learner. I'm not a numbers person. And I found finance to actually be very kind of confusing and intimidating. And so I've always used sketching and illustrations as a personal tool. And after business school, I went into finance for a bit and then started a company that was focused on millennials and money. And one aspect was education. But it was really that, that the content around money and finance that took off and people were really interested in. And so it was almost an accident, but it's, it was really interesting to see that there is such a demand for simple, easy to digest content around money and finance. And so that became our focus. And it's been amazing to see the traction we've had ever since and how much people are really 
looking for and craving content that can help them make decisions in the moments that matter or life decisions for themselves, their kids, their families. It's a huge need to have something that not only explains it, but makes people feel confident to have conversations and even ask intelligent questions. If you haven't had the opportunity to get your copy of Napkin Finance or view uh, some of the illustrations, it's a set of educational illustrations to better understand money and finance. It's a lot of charts and graphs. Now, Now, wait a second. That doesn't do it justice. Think of this. To me, it's like Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons, and Warren Buffett, the mega successful investor, had a mind meld inside your brain. (laughs) And the idea is to capture a key idea or principle and then define it, illustrate it, and show how to begin to apply it on a single page. When I was in college, we were given in a couple of our courses the opportunity to bring in one sheet of notes to the final. So we had to synthesize 12 to 15 chapters of physics, chemistry, or numerical computing on a page. And it was a lot of work, but it was so much fun. I love the challenge of it. And obviously, the more work you put in, the easier the final was, because in order to understand it and boil it down to something so clear and so accessible, you really had to understand it thoroughly. Is that kind of the approach that you take with creating each page, each chapter of Napkin Finance? Yeah. So, well, I appreciate that because it's incredibly hard to make something, especially a complex topic, really simple and, you know, easy to read. And I think people underestimate how much time that takes. So what's interesting is that we have a team of creatives, but also a team of financial experts that have to come together to do that because the content has to be accurate. And especially since we work with banks and financial institutions, it also has to pass by their compliance and legal departments. And so there's a lot involved in making the content really high-end, high-level, and accurate, and you know, and also fun and engaging. So it takes a lot to get even one napkin done and completed. What else is the aim of napkin finance? What if I not covered that you want to make sure that people understand about this, not only as a book, but also as a community and as your mission? Yeah. So I think what, what the beauty of what we do is we don't sell any products. So we're never trying to sell you a credit card or anything else. Our content is purely tr- advocating for our readers and transparent. And so I think that's a beauty for us and for our partners. So we we make sure that we maintain that education is our priority. And so that's really important. I think most financial content comes from someone who has an agenda. And so it's really important for anyone who's looking for resources. And there are a lot of actually wonderful resources out there other than napkin finance, but it's important to see what the source is and if there is, you know, what, what, what they're asking for. So it's oftentimes it's really important to understand kind of what your goals are and make sure that you know you're getting the best advice and it's in your interest and not you know to guide you into a product or service. So I think an integral part of napkin finance is the experience that it involves not just the technical theory but like you said to make it accessible it includes fun facts that makes the topics approachable and also cheeky humor that makes it memorable and I think it builds a relationship with the content and also with your brand. For example, the mutual funds chapter ends with this original quote. Invest in a diversified mutual fund to lower the risk of your investments. Invest in a gym membership to lower the risk of love handles. 
care of napkin finance. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so we it's interesting. We use humor because again, just making it more relatable and you know, a topic again like money and finance really turns people off. And so the humor has been just fun. I mean, we do a lot of it on our social media as well, which has been great. You know, we have a lot of we call them one-liners. And so we use those, we kind of use them within our book. We have them on the site, but we also have them on social media as well. And so that's been really fun, a fun part of our messaging and our brand. It's a social mission as well as a business mission. So how do you see making money accessible at this point in time to be something that has a social mission? Because of we're recording this now, we're in the midst of the pandemic lockdown. Sure. We've also had Black Lives Matter come to the fore, and we're in the midst of a lot of, of confusion and misinformation. How important is it to your mission to make sure that this information is accessible to not just people who have the resources to get excellent education, but also people who are struggling and who are looking to get by and to have conversations about financial topics to make it more central and successful in their lives? Yeah, so a few things. First of all, all of our content is free, but what I would say is that now more than ever, it's more it's it's important to understand your finances. And it's actually a great time to kind of check in and have a maybe have a review of your financial plan and and take action. And so I think most people, and I, you know, my my belief is that the smartest people we know don't know know much about money and finance and defer to other people oftentimes, especially women, to take their to really control their finances and make decisions. But what we've learned over the last four or five months is that that's a dangerous thing to do. It's really, really important to be on top of your finances. Knowledge is power and to be able to make decisions or understand how people who are managing your finances or maybe make, whether it's your CPA or financial advisor, attorney, anyone who's giving you advice, you, everyone, it's, it's in your best interest to understand where your money is, where it stands, you know, what your opportunities are, where you can manage your credit and your debt and so on. And again, make it kind of relatable and simple and then put it on autopilot. Because again, financial education is really key it should be working in the background. It's good to check in at some point, but it's important and critical because it's also tied to your wealth. Your wealth is tied to your health. And so having your finance, finances in order means you have a better lifestyle, you have less stress. You know, it's, it's so related to every aspect of your life, whether it's working, your family, kids, saving, you know, investing, anything that you really, how you live your everyday life, planning vacations, everything is related to finances. So it's always important to be very aware of where you stand, educate and empower yourself to make better decisions. And then also bring on people and help that can make you, that can help you with things that you don't understand. You know, we always advise people to defer to advisors and financial experts to make decisions. You know, it's, it's a day, it's dangerous to kind of do it yourself with a lot of financial areas in your life. And there are a lot of great qualified people who can make you help, help make you be, make better decisions. Tina, I'm imagining as people you know, friends, family, colleagues, classmates, who've picked up napkin finance, they've come to you and told you some of the differences it's made in their lives. Can you share a story about someone you know who wasn't able to have certain conversations or review certain reports, but now is able to, and how that's made a difference. 
Yeah, so I can give you, I mean, I have many examples, but one you know, interesting one is we work with a lot of women. We work with people of all ages. And so we work often with women who've never understood where their money is coming in and out of, how much they're spending, if they're budgeting. And so one of the interesting things has been empowering women and older women as well over the age of, let's say, you know, not millennials, which is oftentimes our core or everyone's core demographic, but older women who may be going through a divorce or are widowed or just want to be empowered about their own money. And so we get a lot of, you know, a feedback from them where this is the first time that they've actually learned about budgeting or basic things like, you know, starting to invest their money or taxes and how, again, what's going on with their money and how they can make better decisions instead of deferring to someone else. So I can give you one, one example of Jane, who is a very affluent, comes from a very affluent family, has money, has resources. She came to us at the age of, I believe, about 55, or I would say 55, 60. And she had never budgeted her money. She didn't know how to budget. She didn't know what a budget was. And so for the first time, we helped to put together kind of a worksheet. She used some of our resources. And for the first time in her life, was able to understand her income and her expenses and to save money for things that she didn't even know that she could save money for. And this is someone who has had, who's college educated, who's had a lot of opportunities in their life, comes from opportunity, but has found our content to be helpful even after this many years of deferring to other people or having her spouse make her decisions. So we, we love hearing things like that. That's just one example. We have other people who are, you know, making decisions around spending, you know, let's say another woman, her name is Sally, who's about to take on student loan debt, who came across our content, our napkins and and sweets like paying for college, saving for college, and was able to empower herself and sign up for FAFSA and secure more funding for college and understood the impact implications of taking student loan financing, what that meant for the long term, if she couldn't pay it back, you know, helping her understand how much she should take out, how much she should save, how much she should be able to kind of allocate yearly and not end up in 10 years from now with this kind of huge burden on her shoulders. And so we love stories like that, helping empower people when they're making the decisions instead of when it's too late. That's so important. I'm sure every business leader listening to this now has opportunities to learn more about financial areas of their business whether it's the P&L sheet or whether it's in their personal finances or taxes or investments. And I bet you that there are pages or chapters or topics within Napkin Finance that can help you become more educated. So I encourage you to take the time to dive in and find something that's relevant and useful in your work life or professional life. Tina, what was the biggest challenge in writing the book? Was it getting started, slogging through the middle, or bringing it to completion? You know, the biggest challenge was, it's interesting. It, was, it wasn't necessarily the content or the, the visuals, the infographics. It was getting it all done very quickly. We had a very short window to complete the book. And so the team came together and we really kind of jammed through a few months of kind of night and day, around the clock working and, and to get the book done. That was the biggest challenge was really just kind of the, the, the short window 
to get the book created and, and up and running. But otherwise, everything came together very beautifully. So in a matter of three months or six months? We put the book together in less than six months, which is very a very short time for you know the the number of images and other kind of visual assets we've incorporated in the book and the quizzes and so on. So there's a lot of content that we had to fit in and also make it visually appealing and fun in just a very short window. And I also want to emphasize consistent. It wasn't like you could see the last three that got done in a short period of time because yeah. it just had to get out the door. It is consistent throughout. And that's really a, a tough thing to do. So kudos to you and the team for that. Thank you so much. Did you have the vision from the beginning that you wanted to publish the book and also have it lead to a community? Well, for the book, we were excited to have another way for people to engage with the content because it's been so fun to see it kind of reach people in different you know, places, in different places in their life, making different types of decisions. So the book, we never expected to have the impact that it has, but it's been amazing to see it. You know, it's been fun to see the different age groups, to see the press around it, the great reviews. But we always really, we've always believed in the content. We feel like it really offers some amazing visual resources and really fun, unique content with the humor built in that can engage people in a way that traditional financial education content can't. One of the other reasons I asked that question is because as people write books and are, are authors and thinking of putting together a book, not everyone has the idea of being able to distribute it online and use it in a lot of ways that you have with the licensing. At what point did that idea come to you? And how was that part of your negotiations with the publisher? Yeah, so actually all of the content in the book is unique. So it's a great question because it is very tricky how... We have, all, we have content on our site, we have content for partners, and we have content in the book, and we also license content to businesses. So we're very careful that all of it is very unique and, and very specific to that kind of platform where it lives. So the book content is different than what you will see on our website. Some of it overlaps, some of the evergreen content is difficult, you know, if you're talking about budgeting to make it very unique in one way or another, but we try to make it all fresh depending on what platform it, it's on. But yeah, licensing is always a consideration. We're very careful. We create everything in-house, but we're also very careful and we, we really want everyone to have a different experience depending on whether they go to our website or they visit the book. Tina, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Yeah, let's get started. So earlier I asked you about a person who inspired you growing up and you talked about your dad and his example. When you were in your teens, what's a song that you found inspiring? I would, in my teens, I was obsessed with uh, Wham. And I mean, again, it wasn't necessarily inspiring, but I just, I mean, I was, you know, I loved their music and it was just really fun to listen to. I guess where the streets have no name. What's the most effective way that you find to get the word out about your mission with Napkin Finance each week over the last six months? So I think social media is the most powerful platform to get kind of engagement and to reach many people as, you know, as we can, because most people, that's where they live. People live on social media. So it's been a great way for us to engage with our readers and also get feedback. Has it been Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest? What, what have you found works best for you? Yeah, mainly Instagram. In the last six months, what would you say is the best $100 purchase you've made? I would say in the last six months, I've bought 
several books that have been really inspiring to me. So I would say that's probably been the most, the best investment has been buying actual physical books. One or two of the titles. One of them is a book by Maya Angelou, Letters to My Daughter. Another book I read by Wayne Dyer, I believe it's called Making the Shift. I'm reading Letters to a Young Poet, which I love. Um, So I try to kind of expand out of the business world for... I think that's great. At night, I make sure that once I turn off the computer, I'm always looking for something to read that's fiction to take my mind off that area as well. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I would say I've stopped or I've made a more conscious effort not to go backwards or look in the past. And I'm very kind of analytical and I look back and I kind of always assess like how I could have done things differently or better. But I think what I've learned, especially in COVID is life is so unpredictable. You just have to kind of continue moving forward. And since you've made that decision, what's it opened up for you? More joy, more free time, more relaxation? I would say less, more peace of mind, more opportunity and kind of more excitement about ways that I can kind of make an impact moving forward. That's great. Let's talk more about napkin finance. And what would you say is one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about napkin finance? I would say that it's, it's aimed at younger people because it's more visual and kind of sketching but in illustrations and humor, but interestingly, it's been resonated with people of all ages. What's really the most rewarding thing is hearing that people buy it for themselves, read it, and then buy a copy for a friend or a family member or a child. And that's been the most exciting thing because with this book, we haven't had to force people, like everyone who's read it has found some value in it. Now, maybe they don't care, someone may not care about cryptocurrency, but they will care oftentimes about something else, investing or improving their credit. So there's something for everyone in the book. And, you know, so that's, that's been exciting to see that people are not only enjoying it themselves, but passing it along. Well, Tina, you've passed along so many great ideas today on my quest for the best. I just want to thank you so much for talking about, first of all, how your dad helped you understand that you make your own opportunities and hard work will take you places that just expecting doors to open won't. Um, Execution, persistence, and timing pays off. As an entrepreneur, we all need to be reminded of the value of that. I want to thank you for helping us understand how you coordinated your team of creatives as well as financial experts to bring together this product and that it's different both online as well as the printed book. And the humor is one of the techniques and ingredients you use to make it so relatable and fun for people to learn about a topic that's ordinarily dry. And I love your mission about helping people understand such an important part of our lives, finances, and doing so in a way that helps us grow and understand and look at things that we probably haven't been interested or motivated to look at in a long time. So I want to thank you so much, Tina, for joining me on my quest for the best today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Tina, before we say goodbye for now, where's a place that we could find out more about you and your work online? Sure. So we're at www.napkinfinance.com. On social channels, we're at Napkin Finance. And the book, Napkin Finance, Build Your Wealth in 30 Seconds or Less, is available anywhere books are sold. Well, we're going to link to all of the places that people could buy your book. 
and follow you and interact with you on social media in the show notes. So it's really easy. People will remember napkinfinance.com. And when you go to this episode on my quest for the best, you'll get all the links to other topics that we talked about during the interview, as well as all the ways to connect with you and stay current with what's going on at Napkin Finance. So Tina Hay, author of Napkin Finance, thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.